expressed on this program by its guests do not necessarily reflect the views or beliefs of the host or radio network. In this program's sole intent is to help educate, foster critical debate, and help raise and discuss political and social issues which already exist in the public domain. Thank you and enjoy the program. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Thank you so much for joining us for this weekly omnibus news and analysis radio program brought to you here on ACR, the alternate current radio network. This is episode 334 of the Sunday Wire, and uh, we uh, weren't able to join you last week. We had a conflict of uh, schedules, uh, which we could not resolve, uh, had to do with uh, what we're doing behind the scenes. But um, thank you very much for bearing with us, and thank you for joining us this week. We've got a powerful broadcast lined up for you today. We're going to cover a number of important stories, and then in the second hour, we're going to be joined by our roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine, is going to be giving us the SP from the ground somewhere uh, on the British Isles, so we look forward to connecting with Basil uh, at the top of this second hour. Now, uh, if you've been following our headlines, uh, you'll see a number of um, pretty striking events have happened uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, we'll, we'll delve into some of those. Uh, the big stories this week, of course, are Friday in the UK, uh, the government-instituted uh, mandated masks or face coverings as they've been rebranded. That's interesting. It's no longer a mask. They've the, the PR department has dug deep into their creative loins to produce this new term called a face covering, uh, which is being pastiched as farce covering uh, by a lot of commentators online. We'll talk about that and the effects of how this rollout went uh, this week, how it's going, what people are saying, what people are doing. And uh, we've we had a segment on the UK column on Friday. I don't know if a lot of people caught that or not, but we did a little review of your options in terms of face coverings and masks. We basically rated them on safety and aesthetics, um, but not all of them are your typical masks, a little bit unconventional, of course. We're having a little fun with that, but uh, people like that segment. We put that up on, on our Twitter feed right now, and uh, we do... Not recommend that you wear a mask while listening to the show. I just wanted to get that clear. Uh, don't want anybody to be confused uh, for a number of different reasons. I don't have to go into the pros and cons of the uh, the health effects and the hypoxia 
just the general paranoia of um, you catching yourself listening to this podcast or radio show whilst wearing a mask or a muzzle. Uh, so, yeah, if you're wearing a muzzle, you won't be able to talk and cheer and say, yes, God, I knew that. That's what I was thinking. You won't be able to do all that if you're wearing a muzzle. So we recommend you not wear such things, such PPE when you're listening to this show, even if you're driving in your car. Because you're extremely paranoid and you're wearing your mask whilst driving in your own car, um, please take it off while you're listening to this show. That's our recommendation to you. We, th we think you're going to feel better. You're going to feel much more uh, vibrant. There's going to be more oxygen getting into your bloodstream, into your muscles, into your brain. Just overall feeling of euphoria that you'll be able to experience with, without a mask whilst listening to this program. And we do recommend that you do that with all of the programs on, on the ACR, the Alternate Current Radio Network. All of the programs on ACR are also mask-free, uh, just so you know. We haven't announced that formally, but um, yes, that's that's coming straight down from, from our uh, health consultants at the network. They've said that this is absolutely essential that people not wear masks while listening to the show. So now you've got that. Uh, the Russia report came out. A Russia report. I thought that was, I thought that was dead and buried. Russia Gate. Russia Gate died, didn't it? D died with Robert Mueller's Mr. Magoo impression uh, in front of the Senate and Congress, right? No, no. There's another Russia report that came out in in Britain. Finally, uh, it was supposed to come out actually before the general election in December, uh, but it was kind of mothballed for some reason. And of course, the opposition. The, the usual Russia gators, the anti-Russia crowd, uh, they went completely ballistic saying, what is Boris Johnson hiding before the election? We need to know. We need to know what his Russian links are. It's all in the report, said the Integrity Initiative, said the mainstream media, said Carol Cadwallader of The Observer. All of the Russia hysteria, hysterical Russia gators, they're all saying that there was some secret information in there that uh, Boris Johnson was meeting with the KGB. So at that point, you know, Trump, the Trump treatment with regards to Russia, they were giving that to Boris uh, right before the general election. And they were trying to link Russia to Brexit somehow uh, so that the, the idea was they even made a huge big budget documentary uh, on Netflix. Uh, I forgot what I even forgot. It was so memorable. I forgot the title. But it, it was about Facebook, Cambridge Analytica. And it featured like Carol Cadwallader and some of these sort of frumpy uh, journalists and um, you know whistleblowers, so-called whistleblowers uh, at Cambridge Analytica and so forth, and, and you know they they put a lot of effort into this idea, and why 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 Russia would want to uh, why Russia would care either way, um, but you know what could they really do in terms of the referendum? So people actually got out, they voted, they got a result. That was the end of that. So, But they wanted to rewrite it, much like they did in America after the 2016 election. They wanted to rewrite the result by doing all these investigations, releasing all these dossiers to discredit the election result, basically, and put a big question mark over Trump's head. And, of course, in, in the U.K., they attempted to do the same thing after the Brexit referendum, sort of give it a Russia you know, Russia treatment, and then it'll put a big question mark over Brexit. It'll put a question mark over Boris Johnson. And so that was that was what was going on 
um, this past fall. The report finally came out. Now, at the time when they did shelve the report, we said, we said on the UK column, I said that uh, the reason they're shelving it is because it's a pile of garbage. And the lead author was Christopher Steele, and he didn't fare very well in, in, in the sort of larger scheme of things as, they, as the intelligence community thought he might. He might sort of sail un, undetected, as it were. But no, the Steele dossier uh, was basically exposed as a total fraud. He basically, everything in there was basically made up. And, uh, but yeah, it w- Congress ran with it in America. Press ran with it. Hillary Clinton ran with it. Everyone, the FBI ran with it. They got FISA warrants on the back of it. Uh, incredible. So basically, I, as soon as I saw that one of the lead authors was Christopher Steele of the British Russia report, I knew it was garbage. So I thought, wow, this, this is probably going to be more embarrassing for them if it came out with his name on it at that time. So that strategically, it, the the thing to do from the opposition would be, or from the intelligence community, who are working all these journalists in all these positions through the Integrity Initiative network and things like this, they've got their planted journalists in the mainstream media. The the thing to do would be to is is definitely don't don't release it, shelve it, but make a big deal about it being shelved, so that people think it was a cover up and it would sort of you know cast doubt on on Johnson and and the Brexit. Uh, deal and so forth. And that's what they did. And they, they sat on it for six months and uh, seven months and they finally released it. It was worse than we thought. Who else was, was authoring this thing? It turns out. So here are the sources for the Britain's great, fantastic, all singing and dancing Russia report. Christopher Steele, the top fantasy fiction writer at Orbis Business Intelligence, X quote X MI, MI6, uh, Christopher Steele, Bill Browder, Bill Browder, like uh, <laughs> the man who swindled hundreds of millions of dollars out of the ex-Soviet uh, republics and then turned around and called himself a human rights warrior uh, and is, is like the go-to guy for everything sort of anti-Putin, made up this uh, story about Sergei Magnitsky the John McCain's of the world spun it into the Magnitsky Act. I mean, it's just, it's typical. Anyway, he's in there. Bill Browder, Chris Donnelly, head of the Integrity Initiative, okay, a Cold Warrior, literally from the Cold War, stuck in a Cold War mentality, um, you know, should be retired now, but still clocking, clocking in on the time card, running the Integrity Initiative. And the Integrity Initiative was basically a British government-funded program to basically push anti-Russian propaganda out through all the mainstream media outlets. And they called, they, they called it counter-disinformation, but what it really was was government propaganda. But they spun it to, to make it sound like it was palatable. But anyway, there was a leak or a hack or something, and all of their documents got published um, two years ago online, and it was hugely embarrassing. So, But yet... So Chris Donnelly was in there. He threw his two cents in. Ann Applebaum, Ann Applebaum, is is the queen of 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 anti-Russian propaganda. Is is the ice queen of the Cold War, basically. So she's feted on all the sort of big stages in America. She's given top billing at the Washington Post. So anything that's 
anti-Russian or accusing Russia of doing this or that or anything to promote tension between East and West. She's the sort of female voice of that, basically. She's also very uh, instrumental in agitating Poland uh, against Russia and trying to pull Poland closer and closer into into NATO's bosom, basically. So that's her role. She's paid highly for that. That's her life's work, is basically trying to gin up a war uh, with Russia. That's her life's work. And uh, so she hates Russia, hates everything about it, hates Putin, and so forth. She's one of the authors in there. There's another guy from the Integrity Initiative, Ed Lucas. Although he says he's not integrity, or I think he said in the past... I think he writes for the Times, and uh, he's always in there on Twitter threads. Not anymore, of course, after this, but before he was. Sort of trying to manage the narrative on whatever, the OPCW leaks or whatever. So anyway, that's it. That's the Russia report. It's ridiculous. And so the, they they said that somehow Russia was threatening or gamed the Brexit referendum or the general election or I'm not sure. We've got a clip here. This was a, a journalist from, you, you know the world is topsy-turvy. You know the world's gone topsy-turvy. When the people who are doing real journalism are people from Fox and Sky News, <laughs> then you know things are really, really um, upside down in the world. So this, this, I think this is a Sky News journalist, if I'm not mistaken, but is, is firing this question at this three-person intelligence panel uh, that the UK were unveiling this great Russia report. Didn't have any specifics in it. It's like the emperor had no clothes. And uh, listen to how he handled the panel. He's going to ask them this question and listen closely to their answer. Go ahead and roll this. The authorities simply didn't ask the questions. But you must be able to point to something. What is the worst example you can give of Russian interference in our democratic process? What is the worst thing they've done, as far as you know? Well, that's the question which we want to have answered. <laughs> so, so all of that, all of that, and they have nothing they have no evidence. They have nothing. Only innuendo, only accusations. And they could they were asked a point blank question and they could not answer it. It was so embarrassing. It should be embarrassing for these people, but honestly, I think they're way past the threshold of shame uh, on this. So anyway, nothing nothing to see there. Move along. Uh, that was an absolute bomb. So the theme of this uh, program is the war on normality. And Friday, uh, it was announced uh, that uh, from Friday in the UK that anybody going into a shop, a store, any indoor public space has to wear a face mask or a face nappy or a muzzle, whatever you want to call it. So why? And this is a question. Here we are at the end of July years 2020 and we're asking why 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 now why 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 wear the mask now it doesn't make an, it doesn't make much sense it doesn't make much sense so the, the the what what the health officials are saying what Matt Hancock the minister of health he's like the kind of he's like a cross between a young Tony Blair and a young Fauci and uh, that's pretty scary isn't it I know it is 
Um, so Matt Hancock and, and Boris, whoever they're passing to the buck to, to do the press conference that day, they claim, they claim that the, this is to stop a second wave. This is to stop a second wave. So, so apparently the British government knows something that all of the other governments in the world don't know because they're not requiring all these stringent measures uh, in terms of masks. And it just doesn't make much sense at all. So, uh, you know, just as the virus or the, pand quote, pandemic or epidemic, I don't know, we can downgrade it even further, seasonal cold, uh, seasonal flu, whatever, coronavirus, just as it's tailing off, just as it's disappearing, just as Elvis has left the building, all of the sudden, all of these regulations uh, are being ramped up. Uh, the press is totally on board. The propaganda is 24-7. They're really, really hammering it. Really, really hammering it. They're, don't do it. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for others. You know, Show your virtue. Show, show how morally uh, fit you are. Wear a mask. Wear the damn hashtag. Wear the damn mask. Hashtag cover your face. Go look at that hashtag. Cover your face. Cover your face. Oh, wear a face covering. I don't know what the hashtag is. It's ridiculous. But uh, it's it's on Twitter right now. You'll see all the propaganda there. So why? Why? And, and the it, it, I have to say, I, I actually, I made, I made it an observation. Very disturbing. I'll hold that for a minute. I'll get back to that. So uh, one of the great voices of, of dissent on this whole issue since the beginning of this crisis, um, one of the only people in the kind of mainstream media that we could ever trust uh, because he's been right on this and also he got behind the OPCW chemical weapons watchdog uh, leaks and you know helped to expose the true story there. His name is Peter Hitchens and he's a columnist for the Mail on Sunday uh, in the UK. Literally from the beginning, the lone voice. And other people have jumped on board. You've got a, a crew at the Spectator and the Telegraph. So funny enough, these uh, conservative uh, journalists are the ones who are telling the truth on this now. And uh, on the left, on the liberal side, they are hysterically pro-lockdown, hysterically pro-mask, pro hysterically pro-vaccine, to the point of absolute hysteria. Okay. So Hitchens, his column today is fantastic. And he's just going from strength to strength. But the, the irony of this is he's going from strength to strength in terms of how he's commenting and documenting on this bizarre situation in history that we find ourselves in. But at the same time, his writing is so good. <laughs> his writing is so good. The situation is so dire. At the same time, it just seems to be almost getting worse uh, as his writing gets better and better. So I'm going to read his column because it's just it just really says it all. And it it really is just high quality. So Peter Hitchens mail on Sunday, Boris Johnson's decision to force us to wear face nappies, face nappy. That's another word for mask that uh, Hitchens has uh, has rolled out there. A nappy is a diaper. In British, So a face nappy will kill the British high street or the main street if you're American. So here he is. is the government's dedicated efforts to destroy our economy and an entire way of life have moved up a step. The high streets have just begun 
to stir feebly back into life after months of enforced shutdown. Then the futile decree went out from Downing Street that customers must wear muzzles. And what will happen? Why? More people will choose not to bother to go near shops at all. They will buy from the internet giants instead. The government was con- has convinced itself that this idiotic measure will somehow increase confidence. Really? After deliberately terrifying us with horror stories about a huge and deadly plague poised to slay millions and to turn our hospitals into carnal houses. Really? This did not happen because it was never going to happen. As more and more studies, the latest from the Toronto University, are showing, the government panicked over the wrong advice. This superstitious, anti-scientific rubbish was challenged repeatedly by distinguished experts of all kinds, ignored by the government and the BBC alike, but it has worked only too well. Travelers on public transport, where the muzzle edict has been in force for weeks, could have told them. Forcing passengers to don facial nappies has not led to more traveling by trains or bus. I speak here from direct personal experience. Passenger numbers remain pitifully low. And he goes on to explain why that is. People are still scared to travel. or And, and this is a major factor in our approaching national doom. They have worked out that by pretending to be afraid, they can continue to stay away from work while still getting paid. This statement by Peter Hitchens, this line, is essential. I'm going to read this again. So try to absorb what, what he's saying here. He's saying people are scared to travel or, and this is a major factor in our approaching national doom, people, they have worked out that by pretending to be afraid, they can continue to stay away from work while still getting paid. In fact, Prime Minister Alexander Johnson in parentheses, he says, can we drop the matey Boris forever? It's not Boris. This isn't, isn't his real name. It's Al, Al Alexander. He's not our mate. Um, Johnson has, in a few short weeks, done more damage to Britain's railways than the notorious axe man, Dr. Richard Beeching, <laughs> of despised memory, did back in the 1960s. Now Mr. Johnson is destroying our high streets, too. This means the wreckage of lives and the impoverishment of life at the same time. As new figures clearly showed yesterday, his actions have already greatly boosted mail-order shopping at the expense of real shops. If you think that this does not matter, then do two things. Find out about the working lives of those who toil in the vast computerized warehouses that so efficiently send you your goods you order with the click of your mouse. And then imagine your own hometown with most of its familiar traders closed down. Imagine what, if anything, will replace them. And the personal advice and contact they provide. Human contact he's talking about. And he goes on to finish here. This is just a small instance of the great hurricane of economic destruction that has been unleashed on us by government 
that has no idea what it is doing. The free money cannot last much longer. Closures, job cuts, inflation, tax rises, and a slashing of public services are all on their way. The price of gold, that great warning barometer of economic storms to come, is climbing almost daily. And what looks increasingly like a badly bungled exit from the EU will only add to our perils after Christmas. The prophetic words of Rudyard Kipling return again and again to my mind. We were promised abundance for all by robbing selected Peter to pay for collective Paul. But though we had plenty of money, there was nothing our money could buy. And the gods of the copybook headings said, if you don't work, you die. I see the Prime Minister and his colleagues as a gaggle of Oxbridge undergraduates full of their own brilliance, chattering wittily and slurping champagne beneath a parasol as their punt drifts down the pretty river. But the river, smooth as it is, is not the quiet cam or the genteel Isis. It is Niagara. And that deep growl they hear in the distance when they pause in their banter is the catastrophe towards which they are steering because they dare not admit to us or themselves that they have made a terrible mistake. That is Peter Hitchens, the mail on Sunday. And that last line is really one of the main drivers of this. With government today, they cannot admit that they've ever done anything wrong. This is the fundamental flaw, the character flaw, if you will, of today's political celebrity. There is no greater there is no greater failure as a political celebrity. And I say political celebrity because this is what we have now. And we've said this many times on this show. We, we coined this term, politics is the new Hollywood. Politics is the new Hollywood. The biggest celebrities on the planet now are not actors. They're politicians. So these are no longer politicians per se, and they're not strictly celebrities, they're political celebrities. So a political celebrity can't ever admit they're wrong. They can't ever admit they made a mistake. Otherwise, it's just certain death. Um, they, they, they will never be able to you know, fall on their sword in public because then their, their, their brand is damaged. They're, they're, it's not sustainable. So they're managing their political brands, their personal career brands, they're managing these things very, very meticulously and carefully, just like a celebrity would manage their brand. Their, their talent agency manages it, including arranged marriages, everything. So they can't possibly admit that they're wrong. Because if they did, that would be the end of it. And this is there's no greater example of this. They've doubled down. They've doubled down so badly on this, it's the same in the United States, the, the U.S. and the U.K. The reason the U.S. and the U.K. are so enthusiastic about keeping this crisis going, when most other countries want to get back to life as usual, the only countries that are keeping it going are the despot countries. So any, any unstable governments that are cl clinging to power and 
scared that they're going to lose power or need to have martial law imposed or don't want any street uprisings. They're keeping the crisis going, like like in Chile, for instance, like we saw in Albania, like in other countries, uh, Hungary, many countries that they went really heavy and hard on lockdowns. Uh, because they themselves have huge problems that they need to deflect away from. So that they, they're loving this crisis. The U.S. and the U.K., this is true as well for government in general. But in the U.S., there's a political dimension to it. The Democrats, the, the, the political left, have embraced lockdown, have embraced COVID, have embraced masks, everything, have embraced vaccines, as their kind of identity, they're clinging to it. They have nothing left. All they've got is is this senile, crazed, you know, partially absent candidate called Joe Biden, who no one has seen in public for, I don't know, the last six months. And so there's not much going on there. And so they're clinging to this crisis. They, they want, they, they need to have the economy in dire, dire condition, into running into the election. They're, they'll blame it on the president. They'll blame it on Trump. And that's the, the, that's the whole play for 2020. Literally, that's the play. There's nothing else. Okay. So in, in, in the U.S. and the U.K. are also driving the global agenda. So if you look at the new abnormal, the new abnormal agenda, the uh, decoupling from globalization, um, the return of neo-feudalism, uh, the fourth industrial revolution, um, total track, trace, and control movement of people. Uh, and you have the depopulation enthusiasts, on, mostly on the left, unfortunately, um, the Malthusians, the climate change mob, uh, the Davos crowd, the Bill Gates, Melinda Gates Foundation types, very, very much into Malthus. Okay, who's going to run that agenda? Matt, virtual digital IDs, immunity passports, biosecurity at airports, mandatory vaccines. Not just this one. Not just a experimental coronavirus vaccine. No, 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 no. No, no. They have other vaccines. If you look at the advertising right now, I, I retweeted one of these on my Twitter feed, at 21Wire. Boots is the biggest uh, pharmacy uh, chain in, in the UK. They're already spending millions of dollars already telling people to get ready for the flu season to get their flu jab. Companies are giving out free flu jabs, trying to get people acclimated to this. So it's not that there's any new flu around that anybody knows of. And it's not as if the flu jab all of a sudden became effective. I mean, do you want to really dig into that subject? No, they're, they're pumping out the marketing, the advertising now. They're, spend, they're investing, investing millions of dollars in advertising, marketing the flu jab now. And when companies and in, in, the car, industry cartel, when they invest millions... They're expecting a return on their investment. They're expecting a return on their investment. Who's going to provide them with that return on their investment? Is it going to be the people that are going to 
voluntarily say, I haven't had a flu jab for 10 years, but I think I better get one now. Mind you, there are some people that are think, would think that. They just want to load up on their shots because they, the, the, they see the vaccine, the shot, as a cure or as a defense against getting the flu. Of course, if you read the peer-reviewed studies, you'll, you'll see that that's not the case. Um, and if you look at the, the payouts uh, to the, the industries had to make, the governments have had to make from the fly, swine flu vaccine and, and other uh, studies have shown the efficacy is very poor. Just look at the numbers over the last couple of years in terms of people sick and dying uh, since the pushing of the flu vaccine. So th they're expecting a return on their investment. Government is going to guarantee them a return on their investment. Institutions, by requiring that people have these jabs in order to, quote, participate, whether that's to come on campus in the fall, students must have a flu vaccine as well as the experimental coronavirus vaccine, which is being rolled out imminently. So you, you'll be required to get all of your shots in order to return to, quote, normal. Okay. And that's just level one. Level two is that this is being verified digitally and that would you would be either carrying that around your immunity passport on your, on your Android, iPhone, or at some point down the line, some kind of digital tattoo would be applied, you know, with micro dots or something on your hand, whatever. So, or, or, or a dog tag or an RFID chip, you know, who knows. But that's, that's definitely where the industry's headed. This is where the money is going. Why? Why? If that's a question, why? Why, why, why this incessant need to control people and to plunge uh, various compounds into their body. It's not as if we shut down the economy during previous flu seasons. No, we didn't. There were much worse uh, uh, pandemics before. Why now? Well, a lot of it is because the industry believes it has the technology now to capitalize on this. They think they have the answers. This is part of it. It's not just a, a nefarious goldfinger plot somewhere in the you know, upper echelons of the ivory towers of wherever, uh, Davos. No, it's, it's more than that. It's, there are market forces. There are market forces behind this push, behind this agenda. There are forces of nature in terms of financial markets. And government also is very, very happy about this because those are the same financial forces that are filling their pockets. Those are the same financial forces that are buying all the advertising on, on all of the major networks. All of the other industries are going belly up, but not the pharmaceutical industry. No. Look at their stocks. Oh, they're doing great. They're doing great. And who's the ringleader in government is a, is a perfect example. In, in the UK, if the media were doing their job, and they're not, but if they were doing their job, they would be looking at all the funding that's coming into institutions like Imperial College, producing all these scaremongering reports that uh, push the government into lockdown back in March. Uh, the amount of money they're getting from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the cash that's, that's 
funneling and circling through pharmaceutical industries, through the Wellcome Trust, back into government, into government agencies, through Gavi, the Global Vaccine Alliance, and so forth. Hundreds of millions, billions of dollars funneling through all of these various channels. Okay. Media is not talking about that. They're not talking about this. So clearly there are powerful forces at play that are not really being given the airtime. Of course, people who are well-read, who do their own research, who are, you know, responsible in, 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 in the going for information that is of high quality, They'll, they know all of, a lot of this stuff. But most people who are passive, passive media consumers, they don't know this stuff. And the mainstream media is willfully ignoring it. You might see a story here and there. You might see some expose here and there. But it's not really, it's not going to, it's not the level of media coverage that's driving public opinion or that's driving public behavior. No, all you're seeing is wear your mask, get your shot, lock yourself down, get ready for the second wave. That's all, that's, that's 99% of the coverage. And in the meantime, the pharmaceutical companies are now directly propagandizing people through social media. They're buying, they're spending fortunes on Twitter and Facebook and other platforms and they're hitting people directly. It's just, it's blatant propaganda with these kind of slick videos and the government's doing the same. Governments are buying propaganda time on social media. So you have this weird situation where the the brain trust in Silicon Valley are, are shadow banning people, deplatforming people, anybody that's talking about, you know, asking questions about vaccine safety or efficacy. They're being branded anti-vaxxers by the mainstream press. They're being deplatformed, shadow banned, having their accounts terminated, whatever, on Facebook, Twitter. And at the same time, the pharmaceutical giants are buying ad. They're spending millions of dollars pushing those very same products on those same platforms. Is, the, is this not a blatant conflict of interest? I mean, how obvious does how obvious does it need to get? What's going on? And a lot of people say, well, it's not just about money. No, it's not just about money, but the main chunk of it is about money. It is about money. Money is making it very easy for these tech firms to behave in the way that they are. The money really makes it extremely easy. They're getting tons of money from government. They're getting tons of money from pharmaceutical companies, buying all these promotional packages that they're rolling out. It's propaganda. So getting propagandized by government and corporations, all basically singing the same song. This is high-tech digital fascism. Nothing else. There's no other, way to, no other way to describe it. And in America, the ringleader, the bridge man for this, is none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. Fauci. This guy. So any normal person, I mean, he's been in government. He's been in government since the beginning, since electricity was discovered. Anybody would have retired at the age of 80, 82, whatever he is, okay? He's on, he's on, he's on path to break Strom Thurmond's record for long, you know, he's, what, how old was Strom Thurmond when he died? 
in office. 92? I don't know. I can't remember. 90? Fauci, what? Hang it up. Retire. No. He's in there because he is their man. He is the man for the pharmaceutical industry. He is the man for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He is there to drive an agenda. That's why he's in there. A complete hypocrite, a liar, a complete fraud, proven so by many people in many instances. And the, po- the poetic justice of it, it came to a head. He was asked to throw out the first pitch at the Washington Nationals baseball game. And this is a big tradition in America. You know, they invite celebrities or politicians. They come out in a baseball game. They sit in the pitcher's mound. They, they throw the first ceremonial pitch. They toss it to the catcher, and then people cheer. So there he is. He's at the Washington Nationals game. There's hardly anybody, of course, in the stadium because it's all been social distanced to death, thanks to him. But he's out there having a wonderful time. Um, somebody's paying for it. I don't know who's paying for it, but uh, most of it's on the house. It's a hero. He's emptied out all the sports stadiums. He's a hero. He's killed all the uh, arts. He's killed the movie industry. He's killed sports. He's a hero. Anthony Fauci's a hero. So they they honored him by asking him to come out. He's been wearing his, his face nappy with the Washington Nationals baseball graphics on it at press conferences. He's gotten a lot of attention for that. So I think they reward him by saying, you're our number one fan, Dr. Fauci. Come and throw the first pitch out. So he comes out, and he's got his mask on. And he, it doesn't get any more bizarre. This is like the Black Mirror. It's like the Black Mirror. Fauci comes up, stands on the pitcher's mound. I think he's a right-hander. Yeah, winds up. The, the catcher's there. It's not that far. I mean, it's not like... Do you know what I mean? It's not like throwing across an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It's only like a few feet. Fauci wound, winds up to, to pitch, and literally, you can't miss. There's, there's no distractions or anything. It's like being at a fair and, you, you know, hitting the rabbit, you know, with the, the ball or whatever. You know, it's five feet away. Fauci throws it so far wide, the catcher just gave up. He didn't even run for it. The ball was like 20 feet to the right of the catcher. I mean, Stevie Wonder did, Stevie Wonder nailed it, you know, and Fauci couldn't get within 20 feet. It was ridiculous, but it was so poetic because that really says it all. And then to add insult to injury, it gets better. Then a photographer clocked him behind the dugout when he was uh, having a ball with these two, one woman on each side of him. And he had his mask off. So every, he's telling everybody in the country needs to wear a mask. Everyone in the stadium is wearing a mask. He's got his mask off, laughing and having the life of Riley. And that pretty much says it all. Can't throw the pitch. Doesn't even wear his own mask. It's a joke. Now, normally this would be a scandal. But because the press in America is oriented a certain way and Fauci is to them like a saint or kind of a national hero... Um, he'll be getting no pushback whatsoever on that. But, of course, if that was you know, somebody on the other side that was being opposed for what they're doing, whatever, no problem. So the, it's just typical, the hypocrisy. It's typical. So so there's a lot of, um, I don't know, the, the problem is 
they have identified pretty much everything that makes life worth living. Everything that makes life worth beautiful, uh, whether that's you know going to the, to school, sending the kids to school, going to the beach, attending a concert, dance class for the girls and and the boys, um, going to a high school football match, a high school basketball game, seeing the kids compete, live music, live music. Live music is banned right now in bars and pubs in the UK. Why? Because some nitwit has come up with the idea that nobody is challenged. Even even the deepest, darkest Stalinist Soviet Union couldn't produce such genius. Some nitwit came up with the idea that a singer with a guitar raising his voice would be projecting too much uh, aerosol and it could potentially infect everybody with COVID. So there's no live music. How stupid is this? So you see all these live music venues, they're empty. Why? You go into a bar, no one's wearing a mask. But uh, two hours earlier, the shop next door says, you can't come in without a mask. This doesn't make any sense. How does this make sense? Somebody explain, please explain to us how you can require masks to go into a shop, but in, in bars and clubs, no mask. How, is the, how does this make it? It's totally inconsistent. It's inconsistent because it's totally unnecessary. So the government is, is clinging to some, that we need some authority. We need, to, we need to drop the hammer at least. We need to, we have to get them because we can't let go of this completely because we're, we have to wait for the fall so that when real flu season arrives, they can blame everything on, on, they can say that there's a new flu strain, an evil new rock star flu strain, or COVID's back, or whatever. And, and we need to lock down again. In the U.S., guarantee you this will be around the election, by the way. Guarantee you. And that will just create more tension and havoc. Trust me on that. You heard it here first. Lockdowns. Write it down. I said it. Lockdowns around election day or election week. It's going to cause uncertainty and it will raise doubt as to the result of the election. You heard it here first. Watch. Watch and wait. If it doesn't happen, I will be very surprised. I'll be very surprised. So all of these things that make life worth living, that make life beautiful, and government, not the virus, government is determined to destroy it. I just heard a, a, a traditional church choir in, I think, no, this was Peter Hitchens said this in his one of his reports uh, this weekend. The Sheffield Cathedral Choir has been wound down. They've been going for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. They're closing their doors, winding it down. Why? Why? Churches are being closed. Places of worship are being closed. People aren't allowed to attend weddings in some cases. Or if so, only a certain amount of participants and must be socially distanced, blah, blah, blah. 
celebrations, and so forth. Dance, sport, live music. And, and Tom Woods, he is a, a fellow at the Mises University. He's also a radio host, very talented, uh, and an author of, I think, 12 books. He, we have a presentation that he gave up on 21st Century Why right now. i telling telling everybody to listen to this. He's done an excellent job of, of laying out the psychology, but also how this is changing society and not in a positive way. And he said that if you take away all of these things, that they're, they're banning and canceling and all these under the guise of the COVID crisis, he said this kind of life, this new normal he's referring to, he said this kind of life has a pulse, but it has no soul. Think about that. So what they're offering to you, the new normal, is life with a pulse, just, but no soul. So imagine all that. The last thing I'll say, okay. Do you know how hard it is to train to become a ballet dancer? To become a concert pianist, a magician, to be in a symphony, to be an actor in theater, even the various disciplines that support the arts, theater design, costume design, all of this. How hard it is, how hard you have to work, how hard you have to study, how the level of excellence that's required, but the, the tremendous satisfaction that the creative people get when the performance happens. When the performance happens, the artist performs, whether they're an actor, whether they're a musician, whether the director, there's a whole ensemble supporting cast around that. It makes a lot of people happy. It makes people's lives worth living, but not just living, the really living life, loving life, okay? This is what these outlets and these activities throughout history have provided. It's also provided a platform for getting important ideas out, dissenting ideas, this is, this is the, the bedrock of our civilization, acting, poetry, theater, music, dance, sport. You know how hard it is to train as an athlete from the age of whatever, okay? I was a competitive swimmer, so I, I, started, I started training competitively when I was seven years old and pretty continuously up until I was 23. And I kind of, quote, retired at 23. I hung up my goggles at 23. And I swam NC2A. I went through college. And that's, you know, four, four, two weeks in the summer, two weeks at Christmas. That's the, that's the break you get. Training every day. Straight, all the way through. I took a few summers off. I also played basketball, so I, I, I took a break from swimming when I was in my early teens. But it was there was people that I trained alongside of Olympians from different countries that swam. We swam together in the same club in California, and their goal was to represent their country. Their goal was to go to the Olympics or the World Championships and represent their country. That was the you know. <laughs> win a medal or or just represent and from there that provided them that was their springboard to their next 
phase in life, whatever that is, going into coaching, going into to business, but you know the pride of being the best at whatever sport it is, and and, and what that means means to the country to see their best, their brightest, their strongest men and young men and women competing in all these different sports. And how important that is to communities, the towns where some people come from small towns and they rise the ranks and they're playing on the big stage. It, it means so much to so many people. It brings so much joy to so many families. It, it creates so many jobs for so many people as well, these, these competitions and events. And all of these ninnies, these Nazi Karens, all of these people, they, they're, they're, they're dying to tear it all down. They're dying to tear it all down. No excellence, no joy, no art, no celebrations, nothing. They want to pull society down into this pool of misery. And the politicians are looking at this as an opportunity to shore up and consolidate their power. And Jeff Bezos is laughing all the way to the bank, as is all of his pals in Silicon Valley, censoring us, running pharma ads. They're getting off on this. They're loving this. They're loving the new abnormal. They're at their zenith right now. They think that they've just made it. We finally ascended to the top position in, 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 in civilization. But let me tell you, they're wrong. They're dead wrong. And there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning of this. This is the biggest boondoggle in modern history. We've seen some big hoaxes in the last couple of years. The whole Russia Gate thing. I mean, that, that's a huge hoax. Russian collusion. This dwarfs all of that. This puts it all to shame. This is all of it wrapped into one. There will be a reckoning one day. And there'll be some people that will escape that reckoning, as they normally do, the slippery characters. But there's others that won't escape the reckoning. Unfortunately, it's going to happen. And there's going to be some not-so-happy campers at the end of this story. I can tell you right now, because a lot of people are not that stupid. They're playing along with it now for the sake of happy campers, keeping families and communities together and not ripping each other to pieces, but they're really pushing it. They're really pushing it, and they're going to keep pushing it into the fall. We shall see. We shall see how it unfolds. Let's take a short break and connect our roving correspondent for culture and sport, Basil Valentine, on the other side. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back. <laughs> 